Welcome to the Thundercast, your martial athletics podcast produced by the fans, for the fans, with your hosts, Russ Livingood and KD Hudnall. We're bringing you the thundering word on the thundering herd each and every week. So keep it right here. The Thundercast is on the loose. Thanks for downloading another episode of the Thundercast. Find us on Twitter at Thundercast underscore pod. And of course, you can subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting network. Uh, We recommend that you do that, of course, so that you automatically get uh, each episode downloaded to your phone. And all you got to do is hit play. Uh, That's the best way to stay in front of everything that uh, we are putting out. We've got a special standalone episode this week. Uh, it's at the quarter point of the season, and we thought it was a good idea to open up the mailbag again for some listener questions. So uh, we had so many questions this time, and the discussion was just so good that instead of busting out a three-hour-long Thundercast episode, uh, we decided to make the mailbag its own episode And we've got a little bit of a surprise to go along with that. We'll find out what that is right after the break. So let's get a quick word from our sponsors at 304carwreck.com. If you've been hurt in a wreck, visit 304carwreck.com on the web or on Facebook. Jason and Matt are experienced injury lawyers in Huntington who practice throughout West Virginia, Ohio, and Kentucky. They can't protect you from bad drivers, but they will make sure you're treated fairly by the insurance companies. Find them at 304carwreck.com. So we're at the quarter post of the season. Marshall's sitting at 2-2 two and two right now. I'm not sure too many folks in the fan base thought that we would be at 2-2 two and two at this point. But here we are. Uh, and I've been thinking about it since the end of the Troy game. And as as bad as I have a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth about being two and two, um, I started asking myself, would I have traded a Notre Dame loss for a win over Troy to be three and one and a loss to Notre Dame? And I don't know that I can justify that. I think I'm happy being two and two, knowing that one of those two wins is against the then number eight team in the country because those just don't come around very often. So here we sit. At 2-2, two and two, it's time to open the Thundercast mailbag once again. Uh, we've got a, I don't know, a slew of questions, maybe eight or so, and we'll we'll tackle all those. Russ, it's, it's, it's a spattering of questions kind of across the board. There's a little bit of a concentration around the offensive line, but here's what we need to let folks know. It ain't just me and you this week. <laughs> uh, folks, we got one of the most versatile defenders to ever lace him up for the herd, joining us for the mailbag segment this week or this time around. Um, 297 career career tackles, 119 of those solo, 20 tackles for losses, eight and a half sacks, three passes defended, and four forced fumbles. 2012 freshman All-American, Conference USA All-Freshman team, 2014 Conference USA champion and second team All-Conference USA linebacker and a 2015 All-Conference USA honorable mention linebacker. Number 22, DJ Hunter is joining the Thundercast this week and we could not be more excited. DJ, welcome 
to the Thundercast. Oh, yeah, man. Appreciate y'all for having me, for sure. It's always good getting on here with you guys. Yeah, it's been a minute. Uh, you did uh, an episode with us, maybe two, uh, several years ago when I was at my former podcast. But here for the Thundercast, this is the debut uh, having you here, and we're really happy to have your perspective on some of these questions. I know you're feeling probably some type of way like we are at being two and two. So let's get into it. Russ, do you have the list of questions also? Uh, I do. Okay. Yeah. I, I've got them printed up. So if you want to start them off, I'll go second and we'll just get it rolled. All right. First uh, comes from Kyle Hamlin at Thundering Turd One. Kyle, I know that gets Kate. <laughs> That gets KD every time. Still hasn't uh, changed the at, man. Uh, Kyle says, what are your thoughts of us looking like a complete different team two weeks after beating Notre Dame? DJ, uh, you, you're you the man here. You take that one and run with it, and we'll give you some follow-up. I mean, to be completely honest, uh, I mean, they probably feel let down like everybody else is, to be completely honest. Like I said, after we beat Notre Dame, I just knew we were playoff bound. So I knew I had my vacation ready to get ready to go to the Orange Bowl or something. So I'm not really sure what's going on, man. The offensive line looks kind of out of sync. You know, the quarterback played been a little bit wishy-washy. I think we need to stick with one quarterback. And I think those wide receivers aren't really doing anything crazy for us either. But that tailback, I can't wait to see 22 get back. And, I'll, and, and eight, he's killing it. So seeing 22 and 8 back there, maybe I think it'll make a difference for us. Maybe run some 22 personnel because, I mean, who will be able to stop that? But, um, man, it's, it is kind of disappointing, you know, as a Herd fan and a former alumni to see them at 2-2 two and two right now, knowing that they really should be undefeated. They really should have beat Bowling Green, and they really should have beat Troy as well. But it looks like they couldn't get things rolling uh, versus Troy. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. I mean, we've talked about it on other episodes. We're a play here and a play there of being 4-0. and uh, we, ran sure. in, we ran into a little bit of a buzzsaw up there in Bowling Green. They got punched in the mouth, and they responded. And uh, there's nothing you can take away from those guys. And then as far as Troy goes, we couldn't mount any sort of passing game, and we gave up a scoop and score, and they scored 16 points on the day. I mean, you can't really ask your defense to do, to do much more. But to answer this question specifically, I mean, the thoughts on looking like two completely different teams – well, I mean, what thoughts can you have? They do look like two completely different teams. We were all over the fact that the offensive line was playing at a really high level, and we were all over the fact that we were, you know, sucking up turnovers left and right, and those things have disappeared in the last two games. Russ, the, the offensive line has looked a little out of sync, and we're not getting those turnovers, and they have been the difference – in these games, now we could talk about what what the passing game has looked like, but I mean, to me, that's where it goes. It's the offensive line needing to get it right a little bit, and if we can start turning the ball, getting those, getting the opposition to turn the ball over a little bit, I think we're right back to where we were in weeks one and two. Where where are you with this one? All right, so I'm not a former player like DJ, and I don't have any kind of insight that a former player would have. I'm just a guy in the stands or a guy watching at home. But uh, to me, I think it's apparent that as a season goes along, there's more tape uh, from the opposing teams to look at. They game plan against you specifically. And I feel like after the Bowling Green game, Troy kind of saw 
a weakness that they could exploit. Hey, you know, they weren't moving the ball after those first two long passes uh, through the air. They were doing it all on the ground. Maybe we can't stop laboring, but maybe we can dial it up on blitzes and different packages and coming from different places and try to rock the quarterbacks and take them out of there. And that's kind of what I saw. Now, I don't know how true that is. It just kind of makes sense to me that there's more tape now. Notre Dame got nothing out of our tape against Norfolk. I mean, what are you going to get out of that, right? You know, you're playing a team that barely put up any kind of fight to the point where in the second half we played 87 total players, you know. It's a totally different game. Notre Dame couldn't really game plan against us much because there wasn't much to see of this team. Uh, We had a near-perfect game plan going into Notre Dame, and now the last two games there's been, hey, here's what we're going to have to do. You know, we can't stop their runs, so let's try to – see what we can exploit here on the offensive line. I don't know how true that is, but sure does make sense. So let me throw a, an offshooting question, right? Because you just brought a good point into my head. Uh, just as I was sitting here thinking, well, the, uh, Notre Dame probably didn't pay two licks of attention to Marshall. They thought they were probably going to roll through that game. They were game planning for Ohio State. Obviously, why wouldn't you? You win that game, and that's the one you got to get. You're making huge noise. Just so happens Marshall made enough plays, got enough turnovers, did enough right to get a win in South Bend. And we talked about it. It wasn't as close as the score would indicate. Marshall was really in control of that game the whole time. Most whole, of the, the whole most time. of the time. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but to that end, does it now feel, or am I just speculating, does it now feel that we, Marshall, loaded up to get a win at Notre Dame, and now it's like, all right, we didn't really – focus as much as we should have against Bowling Green and Troy. Does it feel like that? Am I just the only one that sees that? I personally don't feel that way, but that doesn't mean that, you know, my way is the way or the thought process, thought process on it. I feel like that we were a tremendous matchup against Notre Dame. And I talked about that in the preview before that I said, Hey, we match up great. We have a stout run defense. They're not going to be able to run on us. Uh, if we can limit their tight end, which, I mean, he was the only thing really they had, and then the QB scrambles or the design runs that he had, they had no running game. Um, they didn't have great wide receiver play because the the guy, I can't remember the name, but unfortunately he had his season ended again two years in a row for an ACL injury. Uh, so they were kind of depleted in the air, and – we matched up great. Our defense is great. It's still great, as you can see what we did at Troy. Um, I feel like it's been a different kind of matchup these last two games where we were playing quarterbacks that have good presence and can throw the ball, and we were susceptible to some big chunk plays or or high yardage. We did some bend, not break. Other than the disastrous second quarter at Bowling Green, the defense has pretty much kept everybody off the scoreboard. So I feel like it was a matchup kind of deal, a game plan kind of deal. And obviously, as we're going to discuss a lot more, the offensive line has taken a dip uh, against this game plan of the blitzes and, and all that. And I've got some more, I don't want to spoil it, but 
I don't think it's all just the offensive line, and I'll get into that when it fits at a better question. Who do you think, DJ? It, it, do you think we just loaded up to try to get this, you know, program signature win against Notre Dame and didn't cross enough T's or dot enough I's for Bowling Green and Troy? Or do you think it's more like what Russ said? It was a matchup thing. Um, I think Russ kind of hit it on the head, to be completely honest, you know, because even though they did get that big signature win at Notre Dame, you know, it's on to the next week at the end of the day. So no matter what, we got the big win, it's on to the next week. It's on the Bowling Green, then it's on to Troy. So, but that uh, that's all in the leadership, you know, on the team. So, you know, you got to go on the road. You got to pack your toughness and your leadership. So I think that that defense is playing like rock stars, to be completely honest. Lance Gidry and that defense, they're dialed in week in and week out. They're 100%. not getting, They're leaving people 21 points except for that Bowling Green game. They may have been riding on a little bit of a high horse after that Notre Dame game, which everybody probably would because I know I was betting a couple friends – Freddie Barnes, I was talking crazy to Twitter, <laughs> like, yeah, man, we're going to blow you out. So I was feeling the same way the players were feeling. That's a game we should have won. So, um, man, that defense that defense is rocking out right now, to be completely honest, man. That yeah. offense has got to get rolling. We need to stay consistent. We need to keep that one quarterback in there, I think, honestly. We need to keep three in the game. Yeah, that's a that seems to be a running theme that's echoing throughout the fan base right now. And there was an article that came out today – uh, by Chuck Landon talking about the two-quarterback system and how it's not really been as effective as they would like, and he kind of came with some receipts, you know. Uh, several times we Columbia would lead us down the field and get us into the red zone, and Cam just couldn't punch it in. We had to settle for some field goals, or, or we just left points off the board. So whatever your feelings are about that system, um, currently it's not putting enough points on the board. That's just fair to say. If it was – well, we'd be talking herds riding high four and oh, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but that's a fair point. I mean, fair points all around. Look, let's go to the next question, Russ. It's from Marshall Sports Fan at Herd Sports Fan. We kind of touched on this on another podcast that should be coming out tomorrow. I think tomorrow, tonight's Tuesday, so it should be coming out tomorrow. We'll retweet all that when that gets posted, so you guys can listen to it if you want. Um, it's called, I think, Sunbelt Daily. Is that what it is? Sunbelt Daily Podcast? SBC Daily. SBC Daily. That's right. Uh, so his question is, what is your new season record prediction? DJ, we didn't know if you had a season prediction before the season. We had one, of course. We had an episode where we talked about it before the season. What did you have this herd finishing at in the regular season? No no, no uh, Sunbelt title game, no bowl game, just those 12 regular season games. Where'd you have them? I mean, to be completely honest, I just had a few questions leading up to the season, like the quarterback play, offensive line, of course, like everybody Dang. else. So, honestly, I didn't really have a prediction. I just wanted them to do good like every other year. But after we won that Notre Dame game, I was like, oh, we're going undefeated. My <laughs> legs kicked up. I said, they're about to binge us from 2014. We're going to the playoffs. Yeah. But it, it didn't happen, man. And right now, I think we could possibly go down a stretch of – a couple losses if we don't get things together between the Raging Cajuns, JMU, a team that's putting up a lot of points, App State, Coastal, you know, they got that dual threat quarterback that can take over a game. So, man, to be completely honest, I'm taking it one week at a time and just praying that we win. I think you have to. And the, the bad part about this looking forward is Louisiana's fresh off of a tough loss at ULM. I don't think anybody saw ULM beating Louisiana preseason. I sure didn't. 
Right. And then you talk about home games with App and Coastal and Georgia State struggling a little bit. You know, we won't worry about that until later in the season. But if you just look right now, you can't go and lose three games at home. You know, that that ain't going to fly, man. That I mean, the Joan is pretty proud of its home record, and, and we don't like to see people come in there and beat us, right? Nobody likes to lose a home game, but Marshall in particular – likes to hang their hat on that all-time winning record at the Joan, and it's a pretty good one. Right. So to see, you know, if if disaster strikes and, and you talk about a losing streak, a home losing streak would not sit well. But, Russ, has your season record prediction changed for the Herd? Yeah, if you remember, I had our ceiling at 11-1, and one, and I had our floor at 8-4, and four, and I said that we would be 9-3 and three was my prediction, same as yours. It's now down to 8-4. and four. I had us at 3-1 and one before we – or after the four games, you know, after this Troy game. We're now at 2-2. Two and two. So I feel like something will happen in two of these games. We've got an absolute monster schedule coming up. Uh, as far as the the level of play that we're at, I mean, you know, we're we're not facing the SEC every week. I'm not trying to make it sound like that, but this Sun Belt Conference and especially our this year playing Troy and Louisiana, two of the top teams from the West, just happen to be you know on our on our schedule this year. It's loaded. JMU looks tough. App State looks tough. Coastal's going to be tough. Georgia Southern is tough. Um, and, you know, I don't want to make it sound like uh, I'm scared of this or pumping them up too much, but, I mean, we're going to get into it when we do the preview. Gardner-Webb nearly beat Coastal. You know, it was 31-27, to 27, and that's an FCS team that we have to play that looks, I mean, they don't look like world beaters, but they almost beat Coastal. So I now have us at, eight and four because I still feel like we're an excellent team. We've got a couple of things to do here and there. I, I, I have talked about it ad nauseum. We're four to five plays away from being four and four and oh, maybe less than that. It, it's one singular play, pick one of the two fumbles at Bowling Green. And that game does not go to overtime. We may pull away because like I said, they would have to start, going into panic mode, trying to throw down the field, deeper routes, maybe because of the longer holding the ball to let the routes uh, get deeper, we get a couple of those sacks that were just out of our fingertips. You never know how that game would have went. And that's only with one of those fumbles. We had two inside the five. Uh, The Troy game, you're looking at uh, keeping a couple of those uh, long pass plays that got them first downs and put them down into field goal range. I mean, one play in particular, we don't fumble in that first drive and they scoop and score. You never know how that game will turn out. So it's only a handful of plays we can be 4-0. I think we're still a good team. I think that we can go 6-2 and two the rest of the way, but it's going to be tough to do so. I mean, it's extremely fair. Uh, I too had us at nine and three, right? And um, I'm sticking by that. I know that seems like a super uphill battle, but until there are four losses in the loss column, you can still go nine and three. 
100%. So until I see a fourth loss, I'm standing pat, and I'm having faith that we'll get those question marks ironed out, that those fluky plays that are happening the past two weeks, those acrobatic touchdown catches by Bowling Green wide receivers that usually don't happen. You know, the the two fumbles in the red zone, the, the, the scooping score from basically the 10. You know, it's it, these things that are just seeming to all go wrong right now. I just, those things can't go on forever. They don't sustain. They just don't. They're fluky plays. And Marshall was doing a really good job of turning the ball over from a positive standpoint, the first two weeks. So we know our guys are, you know, killing it on defense. We've talked about that a little bit already. It's just a matter of time before they start getting to those sacks, you know, not being a fingertip out of reach and, you know, taking the risk on the interception that they've gotten already a couple of times this year that against Troy, you miss the interception and it goes for a big, long play. Those things are just football plays, man. Sooner or later, they're going to go your way again. So I'm sticking at nine and three until I see four losses in the loss column. That's it. Who's next? I've got Justin Prince at J Prince 83. He says a lot has been made of our O-line, our QB play, our turnovers, and even our defense giving up chunk plays. But I haven't seen anyone ask, where is the explosiveness from our wide receivers? Haven't seen any the last couple of years. They don't consistently win one versus one and aren't getting separation. DJ, that's a fair point, but yeah, DJ, take this one. Um, that's that's something like I said. You know, we just I ain't seen that eye popping guy. You know, I haven't seen that Aaron Dobson take a top off somebody. You know, or just a receiver to take the game over like Tommy Shuler this year for us, man. So. Those wide receivers, you know, they got to go out there and make those plays. I think Seven is very, very capable of doing so. He's a very, very beautiful-looking guy in his equipment. You know, he shows flashes here and there, but the thing about it is they all just need to stay consistent. You know, we got number one. We got uh, Talit Keaton, you know, I, and then I, I like to see a little bit more from Zero as well, man, Ahmed. So, you know, we just we, whatever we got to do to get these the ball in these wide receivers' hands, you know, maybe open up the playbook, you know, we got a good offensive mind, I think, and um, Trickett. And I think, you know, um, Coach Huff has been under great leadership, so I know he's going to get things fixed. So there's no question about that one at all. So, and we're we going to see. But I did say the same thing about the wide receivers. We're leaning a little bit on eight. So that's that's like our bread and butter right now. Just get eight the ball. Uh, it seems like early on in this season, or at least up to the quarter point of this season, Marshall just wants to live and die by the short pass and the catch and run. I mean, that's what they want to do. We've seen a handful of long passes that uh, have not been totally successful, you know, for one reason or another. In week one, it was the drop touchdown pass on a beautiful ball against Norfolk State. In week two, it was a beautiful pass and catch and double coverage by Gamage that was called back due to penalty. So we know the capability is there. We've seen a couple of long plays to Talit Keaton, who I think is just an absolute monster in the open field and a definite mismatch. One thing we didn't see last year uh, from an explosiveness standpoint was because Talit was injured for half of the season. I think if he's healthy most of the season, you do see more of those plays. But Russ and I have talked about it over and over and over. We are just too dang deep at wide receiver right now from athleticism standpoint, from a catching standpoint and a running standpoint, whatever standpoint you want to take. We're just too dang deep 
to not be seeing more explosiveness. I'm okay with the short pass and the catch and run. We got athletes to do that. But if you never threaten to take the top off, I mean, does that not from a defending standpoint, from a linebacker, from a former safety DJ, does that not make your world exponentially easier if you know that threat isn't ever looming? 100%, because I know all we got to do is key in on number eight. That's that's their guy. This is what they want to do. They aren't proving to us otherwise that they're going to take the top off us or even attempt to do so. So guess what? We're just going to key in on the run. We're going to key in on one of the best running backs in the country and number eight. Yeah. Period. And he's busting his ass to get hard yards and move the chains. I mean, averaging roughly 30 carries a game in this young season is – Tough, especially considering the fact that you only played the first half against Norfolk State. I mean, they've been workhorsing him to death because really that's what's consistently working. Uh, right. But that's a, that's a fair point, man. I mean, at some point you have to show that this offense can be explosive in the run game and in the pass game. That's a yep. that's a gotta, fair point. Got to pass the ball. Yeah, Russ, you want you got to offer up a synopsis on this one. Yeah, and I'm going to start out by saying that uh, I feel like I've been blessed to get to know some players' parents. And uh, any time that I say anything on here and it's about someone specifically by name or number or whatever, it's nothing personal and it's only a comment about what I'm seeing. Well, sure. That, it's always just fan I, observation. Yeah. So I'm going to sound like I'm picking on somebody here. And I'm not, but I want you guys to answer this. Just nod your head or say yes or whatever. Would you say that Corey Gamage is our number one receiver? I would say so. Yes. Like not in stats or anything, but just if, you know. Yeah. All right. Uh, can you guess how many 100 yard career games he has? No. Uh, if you had to guess, what would I mean, you say? He just had one. So if you're setting me up to say one, then I'll, I'll say two. Okay. DJ, you got any thoughts? I was going to say one. Okay. A Bowling Green, he had his second 100-yard game in his career. This is his fourth year here, uh, 2019, 2020, uh, 2021. He didn't play the whole season on all these, you know, and had some injuries and stuff like that. And, again, I'm not beating him up. But we've got to get that guy the ball at six foot four. We've got to get that guy – in mismatches where he can go up over top of someone like DJ was talking about, you know, I just watched and I am not comparing him to Randy Moss. You can't compare anyone to Randy Moss, <laughs> but I just watched the highlight again today of the five touchdowns at ball state. Yeah. And the, because of his height, he's just able to go up over top of these defensive backs. The game has changed since then. Defensive backs have gotten taller because you've got taller wide receivers. I understand all that. But this guy's a mismatch for defensive backs. And we, in his career, have gotten him two 100-yard games. And again, if you listen to what I'm saying, I'm not putting that all on him. I'm saying we have to get this guy the ball in these situations, right? I would agree. Uh, But let's talk about a little bit from this year only. Talik Keaton and Corey Gamage lead us with 13 receptions each through four games and first week, you know, we didn't play anybody more than two quarters. Um, Third on the list is Devin Miller, 11. 
After that, you've got uh, McMillan with nine. Laburn out of the backfield with seven. Noticeably missing is Jaden Harrison. He's got six. Shadid Ahmed, five. Montgomery, who, you know, won the starting role, Mm -hmm. has six. And Ethan Payne out of the backfield has five. We are not targeting our wide receivers seemingly enough. Is that on them for not being explosive and getting the separation like the question was asked to us? Or are we not throwing in their direction and we're looking for more shorter routes from the quarterback this year? I don't know the answer to that. I would love to go back now looking at these stats and watch those four games over again and see. But I do know that we are not throwing further than 15 yards most of the time. Our two big plays that we've gotten against Bowling Green were both shorter passes that were a lot of yards after the catch. Yep. Um, at Notre Dame, Gamage had that beautiful uh, jump ball um, called back due to a penalty. But um, we have not been throwing enough. If you're not stretching the field, they're just going to start blitzing you, you know? And if if you're not stretching the field, you're also doing a disservice to your running backs. DJ, you know a lot more about football than I do, so this is just a a, a fan. But am I am I correct that if there, if we have no deep ball, you're a defensive guy, and we're not throwing deep, and we don't have even if we've got the weapons or at quarterback, at wide receiver, whatever it is, we're not doing that. How much easier does it make you? able to key in on the short passes and the running game. Like you, you've been hitting on the head all night with that one, to be completely honest, because it hasn't been a threat. We haven't been doing it. So why am I going to be focusing in on that shot? We're not even attempting it. So like I said, defense are just keying in on that run and keying in on, on number eight. You hitting it, you be, you've been hitting it on the head all night, Russ. You're basically saying I need to be a coach, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Holy, oh my God. <laughs> I mean, if you want to jump in and do that, I <laughs> no, no, I, I, I couldn't do, I could not do any. Holy moly! I, I couldn't do any. In, I mean, one one millionth of what the college coaches do. I'm obviously being facetious. Those guys, <laughs> but, you know, but, uh, but I, I do think that you know that's an observation that I've seen is we're either not throwing long uh, on purpose or we're not throwing long because it's not there, something's something's not jiving that we're not stretching the field. Well, I think we got a good – wait, man, we got a little key into that, remember? Because Coach Huff said they were telling Columbia, take your first, first read. read. If it's yeah. open, hit him. So there's a big part of the battle right there. If your primary read is a seven-yard route and he's open, that's where you're throwing. Yeah, but that's, that's what I'm saying is can we not have the primary read be a go route? You know, we're not doing that. I understand. I'm just saying that's that seems to be the type of plays that are being called. Yeah. Every now and again, they might run that long route, but I guess maybe it kind of dovetails right back into the quarterback needing a little extra time for those routes to develop, and right now we can't get that. Troy yeah, brought but, the heat, and before you know it, Columbia's under, you know, three black helmets. He doesn't he have was, time. He was, but at Bowling Green, and as great as Laburn has been playing, should we not have a little bit more? And and I'm kind of calling for why are we in shotgun? I've been saying this forever. We got to have some under center. 
but give me some play action to Laburn and go over the top. And I mean, you don't need anything more than a three-step drop, you know, uh, or if you're in shotgun, a three count, you know, fake to Laburn, throw it deep. So what's the Got- answer, DJ? What's the answer? Man, like I said, Russ been hitting it on the, on the head all night. I think he got something <laughs> boiling over there. I don't know what Russ got going on, but hey, I'm gonna have to jump on here more often. But man, man, honestly, I think we gonna we gonna just have to see. Um, like I said, I think they got good leadership under Huff. I think Huff gonna get it um figured out for him. You know, I got faith in him just like you guys do. I don't think it's over. I don't think it's a dark cloud over the herd that uh, we're, that we're sitting at two and two right now. Everything is still out there for us. They can still go do what they need to do and just have a successful season. I don't think anything is over for us. Yeah. I, I mean, I said this you know, after we lost to Bowling Green before the Troy game. If the herd goes on a run, if the herd ends up, you know, winning the Sun Belt, if the herd, you know, even goes to the Sun Belt Conference Championship, let's just say that they make an appearance. Nobody's going to remember they lost to Bowling Green. They're going to remember All they is- beat Notre Dame and they played for a title. All is forgotten. All is forgiven. That's it. Right. So week to week in the social media age, the world is ending. Right. Oh, my God. We got beat by Troy. We got beat by Bowling Green. The world is ending. Yeah. Three weeks from now, when you go on a three game skid, that that's all ancient history. And everybody's like, yeah, well, we just beat, you know, Louisiana and App State and uh, James Madison. So now we're riding high again. Uh, I got a question here from Jeremy Beeks at Jeremy Beeks. Every year we hear the same message about how this team is different. We have more speed, more depth, culture has shifted, et cetera. But here we are again with two bad performances in a row. We are no different. What would you consider a good season with the deficiencies that we have? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lend some credence to that. Of course you hear every year that you're a different team because you are a different team. Guys graduate, guys transfer, new guys come in. It's a different team. 2021 is not the same team as 2022. So you are going to hear about how you've upgraded at some positions because we did. We've talked about that. The defensive line saw a massive upgrade across the whole unit. Wide receivers saw an upgrade across the entire unit. Running back definitely saw an upgrade. Was Ali already great? Yep, but we sure did hit a diamond for that RB2 that turned into a stud RB1 here when thrust into duty. So, yeah, we we are going to see, and, and you are going to hear about the team having more speed, more depth, culture has changed a little bit, new attitudes. It's because all that stuff's true, but also because fans are fans and everybody wants to hype their team up at the beginning of the season and talking about, how awesome you are. So, of course, yeah. you're excited. That's just the nature of the beast. Players are excited about the team that they have, the practices they're putting in, the, the blood, sweat, and tears that they're out there busting their butts on. They're excited about what they got. None of those guys go work their butts off in the weight room and then go, yeah, you know what? We're not that good. Of course you think you're good. You're working your butt off. Yeah. So, it, two games does not a season make, right? Two bad performances or two I, – I can't even call them bad performances. The defense has been playing great playing great kept these games competitive and within striking distance it's just we're a handful of plays go your way and you're not you're not asking these questions so i understand it's a fair question because you're a little po'd that you're two and two i get it a lot of fans are disappointed uh but you know dj's been in these locker rooms dj's been in these summer weightlifting programs he's been in these spring practices and i'm sure every year when you were on campus you talked about how it's different how we're better this year than we were last year 
even if you didn't post as good of a record from the year before that you did in the current year, you still were hyped up about the season. So I don't know that we have deficiencies. I think there are just questions that need to be answered, right? The offensive line going to get it lined out, look more like the first two weeks rather than the last two weeks. Are we going to see some of these wide receivers that we've talked about kind of emerge and become this threat that we need right now when we need it? And, oh, by the way, Rasheen Ali's about to make a return. (laughs) This team's getting ready to hit a stride, especially in the run game. So, look, um, what do you consider? You said you just want to see him do well. So, DJ, the real question is, what do you consider a good season, I guess, from this point moving on? To be completely honest, man, I I think they can win out. They just get everything under control, you know, control the chaos, you know, block out all the noise from the media and everybody else and what they think their team should be. There you Um, go. They just they just need to go out there and just do what they do week in and week out, man. We really didn't listen to any of the outside noise when we were there. You know, I won ten games, just about. I won ten games every year. So and we won all our bowl games. Went to the conference championship. Won us one. Lost us one. But we weren't really too concerned about the outside uh, the outside noise, man. And that they don't need to be either. You know, we're on the outside. We're just fans. You know, we all gonna voice our opinion. But I'm, I'm with them. I'm with. Marshall through thick and thin, blood in, blood out. I know what it takes to uh, put on that helmet, strap on that helmet, and go step on that field in that zone, in the zone. So I really don't have too much of a crazy opinion on it. I just want them to go out there and just do what they can do and just do what they're capable of doing. I think they can still win the conference, man. I think they can still win the Sun Belt. Go do what you guys got to do and bring that thing home so we can erase the two win, two, the two losses to Troy and Bowling Green. <laughs> Don't even want to say it. Bowling Green. Oh. <laughs> uh, that team has been a thorn for so long, man. So long. Uh, R- Russ, in fairness, li- li- let's let's not like bust on the listener questions because we need them, right? But this is a this is an interesting thing here. I mean, thoughts on the first part? How we how we hear the the preseason hype every year? Of course, right? What are you you're going to hear the hype? Everybody's excited. Yeah, I don't I don't really have a lot on that because uh I feel like what you said is sufficient to answer that is, you know, um there were no like reports coming from practice. There were nothing it was fans talking about, oh, we're we're this much better. We talked about how we're this much better because we brought in a bunch of transfers. Uh, we upgraded our depth. We upgraded in size at key positions and everything. Those are just facts. You know, how they execute during the game is totally different. You know, we are bigger, faster, stronger, and deeper than we were last year. Um, performance during the game, sometimes that's out of the player's control. Sometimes it's out of the coach's control. You know, if it were just cut and dry, and one because of what it says on paper you'd never have never go to the games just do a ncaa simulation like on on the xbox you know so i don't really have anything more to say about that the line in there that says here we go again with two bad performances in a row i'd take umbrage with that because i don't think it was bad performances they were bad losses but again as i stated earlier we're looking at a couple of balls bouncing different way cut game of feet and inches here and there. We're looking at four and O and I put the question to just about everybody, not, not on here, but 
personally when I've been talking to them in public. If we win 28 to 21 at Bowling Green or 35 to 21, whatever, let's say both of those balls, everything else happens except for both of those balls don't get fumbled and we get two touchdowns there. And it's 42 to 28, even though we gave up 21 in the second quarter and we thought that we should have beaten them by a lot more. Is anybody really up in arms about beating Bowling Green at Bowling Green by two touchdowns and not not covering the spread? No. Troy, we shut them out defensively. If we don't fumble that ball and we don't give up one or two of those chunk plays from a missed interception that we jumped the route and came, I mean, real close to picking it off. Um, We win that game. And we squeak out with two road victories and we've beaten Notre Dame and we've beaten three teams on the road, a very good Troy team, a Bowling Green team that gave us everything that we wanted. And we still came out. Would, would this mailbag be the way it is? No, no one would be, everyone would say, well, I really hope that we can get those sacks lined out, you know, to where we're not giving up sacks. And that would be it. It would be a passing moment. Everyone's focusing on, the two losses that were not, they were bad losses. Don't get me wrong. They were not blowout losses to where we just did nothing. It is very concerning to me offensively how we played at at Troy. I'm not going to gloss over that, but it is not concerning to me that it's something that cannot be fixed, you know? Uh, So I don't think it was two bad performances, but to answer the question, what would you consider a good season with the deficiencies that we have? not being blown out at all going to the conference championship game. Notice I didn't say winning the conference champion, but playing in that game because playing in this East division is it's a juggernaut, you know, and winning a bowl game. I think those three things make a good season. What would be a great season is all that plus winning the conference championship with winning the bowl game and never being blown out. Man, I don't really care at the end of the year if we're seven and five, eight and four, but because the East is just beating up on each other, we still get to play in that conference championship game. And then we still go to a bowl. And remember, we have to have seven wins this year instead of six. And we win in the bowl. Man, I I still think that's a good season. That's I would just, just like to, I would just like to see, you know, we were seven and five last year or seven and six at the end of the year, whatever. I mean, improvement, just improvement. And I love the fact that you said don't get blown out. That's huge. Right. Yeah. That means you're competitive in every game. If you're if you're in every game and we're looking at, hey, a play here, a play there, we could have won this game. To me, I think that's something I'm not looking for moral victories. You know, I don't at me at, at that, but yeah, uh I I think that it's important that we don't get blown out. That shows that we can beat everybody on our schedule and a few different tweaks here and there, especially going into next year, that we have the opportunity to put up a, a magical season. Hell, we can still do it this time. We you know? sure can. We sure Ten, can. If, if we oh. went out, like DJ said, that's 10 and 2. We're definitely playing in the conference championship game because that would mean we won every game in the East. Yep, and yeah. you know, so I don't, I don't see him getting blown out though. That that defense looks great. I don't, I don't same, see that. Same, same, 
No, the only concerning factor is so far we've seen some really inopportune turnovers. That's yeah. what it is. You know, it's like the the gimme scoop and score. That's just bad luck stuff. I get it, but man, it's just bad luck. So, like I said, that can't sustain. So, those are the type of things that lead you to getting blown out is those gimme touchdowns, the pick sixes, and all that kind of stuff. So, as long as we steer clear of that, we can weather one or two, right? But you know, you're going to lose the game um, until you can prove that you're a little bit more lethal on offense to be able to overcome a, you know, a couple of a turnover differential margin. But, you know, I, I'm with you. Just stay competitive so that you have an opportunity to win every game, have a winning record, go to a bowl game, and win it. We got to get off of this bowl game losing streak. That's not what Marshall does. Marshall wins bowl games. It doesn't matter who, what, when, where, or why. Marshall wins bowl games. And we've, mm-hmm. and we've steered away from that here in the past couple of years. What's the next question? All right, uh, Christian White, uh, and his handle is Christian1White, says, what are the chances that us as fans can make the Marshall football coaching execs exterminate Legs' contract and fire him? His career (laughs) and Marshall had O-lines playing average or even lousy, horrible. False. Um, Yeah, (laughs) I want to say right now, one, a few years back, I was way too hard on coach leg and I don't think it was his fault. And it was mainly due to, Hey, it's third 19. We're going to run a a shotgun draw up the middle. I don't think that was his fault. That was the problem that I had with him. And I was calling for a change in offensive coordinator. But as we have come to find out, there are external factors that, you know, it's not always up to that. Sometimes it was a, an audible by the quarterback. We gave the quarterback a lot of, of play calling ability and I'm not faulting anyone because one, I can't do a better job than those guys. I couldn't diagram a play. If it, you know, if somebody spotted me the first uh, 10 players on what they're going to do, you know? So I think what's extremely false is that saying Bill legs always had bad offensive lines. If you look during DJ's time here, we're at 500-some yards a game, 487 a game. Uh, We're tearing it up. He did that at Purdue. He did that at Mercer when he went to Mercer. He he was uh, good up at WVU on the offensive line. He was good here when he was offensive line in 2001 and two, I think maybe he did the tight ends. Maybe not, maybe it wasn't offensive line, but anyway, the guy has been a part of some of the most prolific offenses at every stop that he's been at. That is not a coincidence. And I think that, you know, because of all that clamoring from again, fans saying we need Bill leg gone as offensive coordinator a few years back that they are immediately just knee-jerk reaction. Hey, Bill Legg is helping out with offensive line because Morrissey resigned mid-season. Offensive line gives up some sacks. Obviously, Bill doesn't know what he's doing with offensive line. Bill has forgotten more about the <laughs> offensive line than most people will ever know about the offensive line. True. That's a, that's all I can say about this question. So I saw your face light up as Russ was reading that because you were there for it, you know, and by and large, what I've come to know about Bill Legg, at least from a distance, is that his players, his former players, they love the guy. They love the guy. So this is one that I am 
really excited to hear the answer. <laughs> but let, let me uh, let me ask you my my short version here. What can we? What are the chances that us fans can make Marshall uh, get rid of his contract? Zero, because our voice doesn't matter in such yeah. decisions, right? Um, it just doesn't. So, DJ, <laughs> I mean, have at it, man. What, what about this one? Yeah, man. To be completely honest, I can't hop on the the Bill Leg contract extermination train because players play and coaches coach. And when I was with Coach Leg, he had one of the best offenses in not just Conference USA but the country. Country. As of twelve, they had the number one offense in the country. And then two thousand fourteen, they dominated week in and week out. It was literally us just going in the film room, just sitting there watching Devin Johnson, watching that offensive line, watching Cato, Schuler, and all those players just in, in awe. Like, mm-hmm. like these these dudes are sick. Yeah. So all this stuff that I'm seeing, the hate for Coach Leg, I'm, I'm just not really hearing it. I'm not buying into it. And that's just not me saying it as biased because I do love him. But he, he, he's not a bad coach, and he does an, a great job. And like you said, it's been on record everywhere he's been. So I'm not really understanding that one. Yeah, yeah it's. I think a little bit of this goes, like Russ said, it, that it was a dust-up several years ago, and he became a hashtag. It was every week, every bad play. It got just so tiresome. It was hashtag fire leg, and it just got tired. you know. And But it was just kind of a – I think Marshall needed a breath of fresh air, period. You know, and and we saw that finally, Coach Holiday steps aside, or or they, you know, they don't renew his contract, or he retired, whatever the whatever the terminology ultimately went. And we bring in Coach Huff, and you see this breath of fresh air revived into the program. At certain times, you just need that. You you need a new vision. You need a new. You just need new, right? And it reinvigorates the fan base, just like we've seen here. But to just to throw all the onus onto one guy for what's been falling short is here recently is it's unfair i mean let's not even talk about the fact that he's pulling double duty right now which is in and of itself its own animal he's doing offensive lines and and uh, tight ends so whatever that means it means uh, i know that they're really closely related as far as blocking schemes go in some capacities and things like that but like russ said the dude's forgotten more about offensive line than i will ever know so yeah. if anybody can do that successfully it's him he played offensive line. He's coached offensive line at just about every stop. Um, I mean, he was at Purdue when they put up good numbers. He was here when we put up amazing numbers. I think if we go back and look at his 2000 to 2001 uh, time with when Byron was here, no one was complaining about Bill Legg then. No. no one was complaining when we were – first in the nation in 2012, putting up all the 2013, 14, 15 was still good. You know, I mean, it's, it's not Bill Legg, guys. Let's and, let's just and, be fair. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't mean to cut you off here, but let's That's be fine. fair. In 2014, it, 2014 is the offensive line that we compare every other line to over the past decade. Whenever we get that new crop of offense, what's the offensive line going to look like for 2023? Dollars to donuts. We will go, well, you know, I don't know if if they'll be as good as the 2014 line because that's an all-time line. And you you open up holes for 1767 or something rushing yards for Rockhead. I mean, come on, man. You, we're hoping to get a 1000-yard rusher. This dude almost put two bills on the board in a season. On top of what Cato and that receiving core did. On top yeah. of 
And Andy, that doesn't even account for how nasty the defense was to continually give the ball back to those guys to keep churning out those numbers. This is not falling on one guy. It's just not. It's just not. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, as much as some folks might want to say it is, it's just not. It's yeah. it's, it's it's more than just one thing. Please let it go. It's, it's not. It's not Coach Led. Let the Bill Leg hey go. You know he's not out there on the line checking cadences and you know and everything else. So let it go. Let it go. <laughs> uh, Russ, I got a question from Caps Herd Fan at Caps Herd Fan on Twitter. More of a speculation question, uh, DJ. Um, if you're not familiar with the Thundercast, Russ has the mythical speculation hat that he likes to put on from time to time. So this is one of those questions where we're going to speculate a little bit um, in the first part of the question. Second part of the question is, is you know, m- maybe a little bit more opinion. So speculation, when is Rasheen Ali back, do you think? And I don't know, because when I seen that he was gone, I just heard so many stories on why he was gone, and I honestly still don't know why he's gone to this day. Um, but I know we do want him back. We need him back. But honestly, right now, the way eight is playing, I don't, I don't know, man. To be completely honest, he might be out for a little while. And I don't know. Okay. Um, well, I don't know, man. Speaking, speaking that you don't know his injury or the severity of his injury, if it was an injury, you know, they didn't really put anything out there. Uh-huh. So it's not for us to speculate on that. But we've Russ, when do you think Rasheen is coming back? Saturday, Gardner Webb. And I feel like it's a great time for a couple of reasons. One, it's against an FCS team. It's not a conference game. You can get a, a guy back in there, give him eight carries, whatever, you know, it dictates, hey, after the first few uh first series, how's everything feeling? You know. Even if there's not an injury, they're shaking off a little bit of rust because you haven't been in a game yet. So get him in there against Gardner-Webb, see how everything's going, and then you have 11 days off because we're not playing on the 8th. We're playing a midweek game on the 12th for Louisiana, and that will be a big home game there as well and a conference game. So after that, then we're taking off again, 10 more days. So I feel like you can get him in here for a game, have 11 days off, and then he plays again, and then you've got 10 days off. It's a little bit better, just happens to line up with this part of the schedule where he has been back practicing but not been traveling with the team. So he's had some time practicing. I think it's a great opportunity to get him back in there let him do a little bit, still let Laburn do his deal, and then just put Ali in and work him up to where when we're going down to JMU on 10-22 that now we've got two dudes back there that are bad guys. Yep. I've said that. I don't remember. I'm sorry. So what happened to him? We don't know. I mean, we we don't know. Uh, Nothing has come out official. So – our standpoint is that if it were an injury, you would want to come along a little bit easier than just putting somebody back like it's a video game and, hey, he's going to be totally fine. Uh, There's a mental side to that with running backs that I've seen. Uh, Frank Gore famously tore both of his knees up, and he commented that when he came back, it was 
kind of that I have to trust myself on the cuts and that sort of thing. So there's right. a me- there's a mental side to that. Um, I think that uh, whatever it was, I I tend to speculate that it was an injury of some sort, and it's just not been disclosed. Yeah, uh, right. I don't I don't know that. So I'm just speculating that whatever you're going to have some rust that you have to shake oh. off a little bit and this is a great time in my opinion you got gardner webb here non-conference fcs get him some runs then you take a a really good break so if he's a little more sore because he hasn't been practicing as long you know he's he's coming along a little bit later um that he's got some extra recovery time and okay. then he can come in on louisiana and then after that game he's got more recovery time just yeah. great time in the schedule if okay. he's ready, if he's ready. A couple of weeks ago, I believe on the on the Thundercast, I said that I, I put a circle around Gardner Webb as well for a lot of the same reasons you said. Because I, you know, LeBorn was still playing and it has continued to play at another level. So it gives you this luxury, right? You can bring Ali back if he gets a couple carries and he's not a hundred percent feeling it you can shut it down and it's probably not going to affect anything that you do. You can give him an opportunity to test fired in game speed, full contact and not just in practice. So this feels like the right time. It feels like it needs to happen or doesn't need to happen, but it feels like it can happen Saturday. So if it doesn't go right, then you shut it down and you regroup and try it again in another 10 days or whatever Russ said when Louisiana comes to town. But I think at least one of the next two games, we should see him back now uh, today. Today, Rashin Ali came to Twitter and with just a simple good morning tweet. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's good morning or this is a good morning, like I just got cleared good morning. You know what I mean? So read into that however you want to read into it. But he's been off social media since all of this happened. And this morning, you know, we get a good morning tweet. So maybe that's good news for the herd. Uh, you know, that's us as fans that can read into it, whatever he want. He might just felt like tweeting good morning. <laughs> Who knows? Let, let me take off my speculation okay, hat and throw right. on my keeping it real hat. The reason he's been <laughs> off of social media, uh, I, I mean, I'm not going to speak for him, but one of the things that I saw was that he had commented on, you know, he had to miss that, uh, uh, Huntington quarterly signing right uh, at at Jim's uh, steak and spaghetti and they tweeted out Huntington quarterly the next day about you know that he unfortunately couldn't be there and that sort of thing and he retweeted it or he commented on it I think it was a retweet and uh, or a quote tweet and was just like you know kind of like sorry I had to miss it but more about you know, them and trying to make up for it, you know, and giving them some shine and a couple of fans got on there and were like, so why are you out? We, we deserve to know. And no, you don't. <laughs> here's my real hat. No, you don't. No, you don't Lee, This is, <laughs> this is a college student, man, you know? And but it doesn't matter who he is. You don't, you don't deserve to know. It's well, a, I, I know, I know that it doesn't matter who, but we're still talking about it for all intents and purposes, a kid, a young man or yeah. whatever, you know, like, um, uh, I don't want to sound like Mike Gundy. I'm 43, you know, but, <laughs> uh, I, you know, we're talking about, a, a younger than 22 year old 
guy here that just happens to play for the team, the college team that we we all support. We went here, you know, this is our team. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't deserve a damn thing as far as any kind of explanation. Are we all curious and want to know? Yeah, that's human nature, you know, but uh but he he deleted that and then he's been gone ever since. And you know, so that's just what I want to say. If anybody's listening, man, when you're interacting with these, DJ can hop in on this if he wants to, but when you're act- interacting with players on our team, they don't deserve, or I mean, we don't deserve for them to tell us anything. We They don't need to give us inside information or anything like that. Just support them. Move on, man. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. Wish them well. Speedy recovery. Whatever the case may yep. be. Hope to have you back as soon as you're ready. Yep. Over. Right. That's it. That's it. Uh, the second part of that question was uh, not about Rashin Ali. It it says why can't the transfer wide receiver from FSU get on the field? Which of course is Brian Robinson, the guy that you were really high on uh, in spring ball, and yeah. uh, he was making play after play after play, and we thought, wow, okay, another instant impact type dude. And we really haven't seen him on the field much. And I can't remember if at all yet. I could be wrong, but no snaps that I've seen. So what do you think it is? I mean, Me? I haven't paid attention. Yeah. I haven't paid attention. I mean, I, I'm assuming he's dressed for every game. I don't know if he's injured. I don't know. I mean, if he, he has dressed. Uh I can't swear to every game, but when the two that I went to, I'm fairly certain I saw him down there on the sidelines. Okay. Um, the uh the away games, you know, the it's just the nature of the TV production. They don't show the sidelines a lot. So um, I am going to have to throw that speculation hat on, obviously, because I am not an insider, but I think there has to be a nagging injury. Uh, He was playing very well and talked about a lot coming out of spring. So unless there's some kind of, I I don't want to use the word doghouse, but like, you know, like, something has happened in practice that he got leapfrogged and he has to work his way back. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not saying doghouse, like he's done something wrong. Um, I I have to think it would lean more toward he's not a hundred percent and they just have not put him out there. Uh, you know, maybe he's again, this is all speculation, but you know, you don't have to have a major injury to not be, good at, at wide receiver you know if you've got a hamstring that's nagging turf toes something like that and you can't play at full speed you know you're not going to be as an effective wide receiver as if you're healthy so i gotta feel like it's some kind of minor small injury that he just has not been able to get out there yet and i feel like that that's why um montgomery leapfrogged him not to take away anything from from montgomery but you know, Robinson in the spring game was just electrifying from mm-hmm. me being there and watching that. That's true. So, D- DJ, that's, do you have any inkling of why? I mean, I, I don't even know, you know, why. I mean, not that I'm an insider, but do you have any idea why maybe? I mean, to be completely honest, I didn't even know we had a transfer wide receiver from Florida State. All these- <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Florida State was the running back, and he's been as good as advertised, but – to double back on Rasheen Ali, man, um, you know, he's, he's I definitely think he's an NFL guy. You know, these players put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into this game. 
Um, so like you said, you do got to be a little bit sensitive with these players, you know, because, you know, you come out here, you working all summer, all spring. And then if I get a little nicked up, you know, it, 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 it can mess with your mental a little bit just to feel like I put all my all into this game. And then I got nothing out of it because I got a little banged up. So sorry about that. Didn't mean to double back on Rasheen no, Ali. But no, we, no. we want him to come back, you know, with his with his mental in the right place and confident and, and come back and be that guy that we saw last year that's busting 60 yard runs, you know, and doing and doing what we know he can do. Cause mm. like I he's a he's an NFL running back and he's an Ohio guy. So I definitely got a little bit of a little bit more love in my heart for him. So I can do that. Ready. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's fair. We. I've said, you know, I want him back when he's ready. Not, yeah. not. He don't owe me nothing. He don't owe me to be on the field to tote the rock and to like, when he's ready, physically, mentally, spiritually, whatever he needs to be to get there to that point to where he's ready to take on contact and tote the rock and carry the load for the herd a little bit. That's when I want him back because I'm not. He's not doing me any favors by coming out there early. You know, I'm not the one with the future at risk, right? Like right. his body, this his mind, this his well being and his future. He's got to do what's right for him. So as a fan, I want him back out there yesterday. But as a real person, human that understands life a little bit, you come out when you're ready to hit the field. Not a right. moment before then. Period. Right. Russell, you got next on the list. Well, so these two questions are very similar. So I'm going to combine them. Okay. Fun fun in the sun at funbelt underscore smack two and butcher nate at butcher nate seventeen have similar i'll read them both it says do you think morrissey leaving is causing some of the issues and butcher says what impact did the o-line coach leaving have so either one of you whoever wants to go i'll go after you okay now take it take it um so for me honestly um I think that O-line coach does play a big factor in the mindset of that heartbeat of that offensive line, you know, because um, Coach Mirabal, I know he played a big a big role in how Clint Van Horn, Chris Jaspers, Trevor Mendelson, Swede, and all those other guys came in every single day. That dude just had a different mindset. He brought a different energy to the game and to practice and to the field every single day. So for Coach Mirabal to probably leave the team for us, I mean, I think it will have a, a little bit of an effect on them boys as well. But I think the leadership that they had on the offensive line at that time with Clint, with um, Chris Jaspers, I think they would have been okay. But but I still think it would have been a little bit of a situation, to be completely honest, man. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. Well, I think it absolutely – how can it not, right? How can it not? It's such a vital group. And unlike any other group on the field, yeah. those guys have to play in unison. And they have to know not only what they're doing, but the other four guys are doing. Right? And, and and when that doesn't go smoothly, it looks rough. It's, it's like when special teams doesn't do things smoothly. It just looks bad. Bad snaps, bad punts, whatever. So offensive line is this kind of unique animal. And it's a really is a five men, one mind type thing. And 100%. for whatever you might think, it's no big deal. That's your immediate, like, um, I don't want to say role model, right? But that's your immediate leader. That's like your manager leaving. And if you are all about what this dude's all about and you've bought into his philosophy and you've bought into what he's teaching and what he's selling and you, and you identify with that and all of a sudden he's gone, how can it not affect what's going on? It has to affect somehow. 
it's it, as much as we want to think, oh, it's business as usual. You still block the guy that's in front of you. And for as much as that as is true, it still has an effect. It's still some sort of distraction. It's still some sort of shakeup. That's a good term. It's a shakeup because now it's not like it was today, like it was yesterday. It's different. It's different. So does it have an effect? Yeah. It's Is it causing some issues? Probably a little bit. But I don't think that all of a sudden uh, the offensive line coach leaves and we don't know how to run block anymore or we don't know how to pass block anymore. Obviously, there's some other things going on. But it's all part of the machine that's trying to get fixed right now. It's it's just one factor that's needing to be circumvented, some maintenance on the offensive line, and that is part of it. So, Russ, what about it? So I had a different answer until I heard what DJ said, and it's because of his perspective as a player to, you know, talk a little bit more about that. Um so now I lean more toward like what both of you said. Yes, there has been some kind of impact on it. However, uh, and this is more what I was going to say before, that the execution is from the players. It's not from the coach that's over there. Um, Bill Legg, we've already talked about him. I think he's more than capable of sliding over and and doing his job there as a coach to get these players doing what they're supposed to be doing. However, I think that it is not all offensive line for the penetration and the sacks that we've got. You've got to pick up blitzes, and it's not just always the offensive line. You've got to be able to move up and step up in the pocket. So sometimes it's the running back, the tight end, the quarterback that can contribute to these sacks. If you are, and again, this is not picking on Columbia, but I talked about this before, and some of it is a good trait that he has, which we saw with the tight end uh, score at Notre Dame. He bought time, waited till the play developed, and someone got open. So sometimes when you do that and you're moving out of the pocket to do that and you have to dance around a little bit to evade some things, Sometimes you just make yourself behind the backfield or behind the line of scrimmage available to get sacked, you know, and did that have everything to do with the offensive line? No. Now I'll clarify by saying we still have an offensive line blocking problem because some of those sacks were there. Some of them were untouched and more concerning to me were the holding penalties and false starts. Um, That is 100% on the offensive line because it was offensive linemen that had those penalties uh, that they committed. It it was not, uh, well, there, there was one and it may have been labor and it was definitely either he was split out wide in an empty backfield or it was a wide receiver, but the guy just took off in his route before anybody else did. And that was one of our false starts. The rest of them were all on the offensive line. So we do have some kind of issue there. It's fixable. Um, I, I'm not I'm not down on the offensive line. I think that we had subpar performance on it this last game. But uh, again, I'm going to go back to there's another team on the field, and it's the team that's out from you. And you can't take anything away from that Troy defense and their game plan on their blitz packages and where they were just coming from everywhere. 
you know, uh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you can't just say, Hey, we've got an offensive line that you'll never give up a sack, you know, they're going to come. Yeah. They're going to come through, but I do think that we've had, uh, some missed opportunities to pick up some of those blitzes from either tight end or wide receiver, you know, just get every now and then just a little chip, you know, mm-hmm. on those guys that are coming in to slow them down or make them have to take a different path or something like that makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. But when you have a quarterback that is good at buying time and moving around, sometimes he's going to be holding the ball too long or go right into that. And sometimes I didn't mention this, but we talked about the wide receivers. If you don't have that separation and what we were talking about and they're not getting open, then that makes it more susceptible to get a sack as well. Yeah. I mean, it's called a coverage sack for a reason, right? It's not, it's not always an example of some guy shooting through the line and just taking out your quarterback. That's not what every sack is, obviously. Yeah. They're they're not just pushing over our offensive linemen onto their backs (laughs) in a reverse pancake and just having their way with us in the backfield. A lot of this was coverage sacks, like you talked about and designed pressure and it was obviously a concerted effort that they saw, in my opinion, something on the game film and said, this is what we're going to have to do. Yeah. And and probably a little bit of game planning, right? You're, you've sat in defensive game plan meeting rooms, DJ, week in and week out. And you're going to look at some film and you go, you know what? Our fastest edge rusher can get around this guy. He can get around him two out of ten times. So you see that as a mismatch, right? Because you know I can I can have some success against this guy, and I might be able to beat him with my skill set a couple more times out of ten. So you 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 attack a certain individual, and and sometimes you get to the quarterback. Sometimes you get a holding penalty, right? It, it, these are all things that you have done personally. You have keyed in on opponents in the past, right? To be completely honest, I, I thought that Troy defense was a good defense, man. I think they had some good schemes, and I think they dialed up some good blitzes on us. I said that this game was a battle of two great defenses. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody was screaming on Twitter. I said, man, this is a good defense they're playing up against, and they came in with a good game plan. They're executing, and they're getting to that quarterback. Yep. So, yeah. hey, t- I had to tip my hat off to that Troy defense, man. They did a good job. They did a good job game planning against us as well. We yeah, they a- got that. Oh, they yeah, got I was going to say, we, we put a spotlight around the linebacker, Colton Mar- Carlton. Carlton Marshall. Carl and he had Marshall. 18 tackles in that yeah. game. 18. He came, <laughs> yeah, he came back. He came back to play in that game, and you could tell that it was a different team than what I watched the defense against App State the week before. Yeah, or, was it App State the week before? Yeah, they played App State. They okay. lost on the Hail Mary. Yeah. Well, I just didn't know if that was two weeks before no. or a week before. But. Yeah, I mean, that kid had 18 tackles. He was all over the field in that game. I think he became the Sun Belt's all-time leading tackler, and he's like. He's within reach of being the NCAA's all-time leading tackler. That's how good that dude is. Yeah, yeah I, I, I seen that, though, when we were playing him. I said, man, this guy number two, if he gets you locked in on his radar, he's getting you on that ground. Yeah, yeah. Guy didn't miss a lot of tackles, so I'll take my hat off to that gentleman. Yeah, hell of an effort by him and can't take anything away. Because if that guy's wearing Kelly green and white, we're like, we're, 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 we're hyping him up like there's no equal, right? So you can't, just because he plays for a different team, just take away from the talent level that the guy possesses. He's a great player, three-time first-team all-conference Sunbelt linebacker, I think. I mean, you don't put yourself in the rarefied air of an all-time tackler and just be okay. 
you're a pretty good player, right? Yeah. Ru- Rush, you said you had one more question that's uh, specifically for DJ. Yeah. So, so what do you um, I obviously was not a player, uh, but I wanted to ask you as a player, how much noise is it that when your fan base after a loss or after an injury or someone's out, like we were talking about Ali and someone gets on. So we're talking about social media in the stands or just message boards, chatter that you see. You might not be during the season scouring all that stuff, but you're going to see it and hear it. You know, uh, how much does that affect you as a player? Maybe you specifically or give a generalization for the average player. Uh, and what would you like to see different than that? Um, like I said, I think we got to be a little bit more sensitive with the players, you know, especially in our fan base, because, you know, I think our fans are a little bit spoiled sometimes and rightfully so, because we do come from a, a great program, you know, with a lot of great tradition, and a lot of winning in our past. So and anytime something goes wrong, you know, it's like the sky is falling down when it's really not. But um, we, did, we didn't really listen to all the outside noise. And I can say that, honestly, with a lot of wins under our belt when I was there, you know, I didn't lose much in that um, in that Kelly Green. You know, I didn't I didn't lose too many games. You know, I played with some great players. But, um, you know, just just block out the noise. You know, it's, it's all about us. It's all about this team and everybody who's in this locker room. You know, our fans are going to be fans um, and just kill the outside noise. We, we really didn't dive into it like that. Social media was there, but I don't think it's prominent the way it is now you know yeah. after a game a player will search their name and just be like dang man our fans are really just dogging us out mm-hmm. but I know a couple players that did that but I, I never really did it you know I just love my guys who were in the locker room anytime you see me make a play on my highlight tape you see me hugging five people so that's just that's just the way it was for us you know um their culture it's, it's up to their culture and their leadership you know to block all that out so whoever the, those leaders are in that locker room they got to go in there and just be like, hey, block out the noise. It's about us, nobody else. It's about this team right here, right now. Nobody else. It's, uh, what else can you say? You play for yourselves and your teammates, right? That's that's, that's what it's all about. Right. I mean, yeah. the, we as fans just get to uh, benefit the byproduct of the wins. You know, as much as I think that you are out there playing for me because I also went to Marshall, the fact of the matter is you're playing for the dude next to you and you're playing for the dude that sweat with you in the, in the summer weight sessions and the guy that you're sitting next to on the tape table every day and in the ice bath every day, you know, you're going to battle with that dude. You're not going to battle with me up in section, you know, 105, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I just get to watch you go ball out. That's, that's I think, where people get a little too personally invested. Now, I'm never going to tell anybody you shouldn't be passionate about your team. You should. You absolutely should. Yeah. But – I am not a member of that team. I didn't go through the rigors of an offseason, the rigors of a spring session, and all of that that goes into it, and the weekly practices, and the studying, and the everything, right? I was a regular student that showed up on Saturday for three hours and cheered my ass off. I didn't do all of the hard work that you guys did and that our players continue to do. And I think oftentimes that just goes completely unnoticed or completely forgotten about that. You don't get the quote normal college experience because it's from daybreak till sunset. You got something on the schedule and I might have a class at nine and then not again till 12. And then maybe I go back at four and 
and then I show up on Saturday and cheer, and that's it. Like, the amount of work that goes into being a Marshall football player, I believe, is vastly underappreciated. It doesn't go underappreciated by us, um, and I never went through it. But I do know that it's a lot of work, and it's a lot of BS that you got to put up with, and it's a lot of voices that you got to block out. So at the end of the day, when it's game day, you're playing for your boys and you're playing for your teammates and your coaches. That's it. I'm well aware of that. But I do appreciate the fact that you and the guys you played with and the guys that are playing now and the guys that have played in the past all went out there and busted their tail every Saturday. That's what mm -hmm. I appreciate. That's what I appreciate. You know, whether we win or we lose, it doesn't matter because I still ride with the herd. You know, I mean, yeah. life as a herd fan is not perfect. It's never going to be perfect. But the losses make the wins sweeter. Mm. I've said that forever. You know, if you can, you you got to be able to deal with the losses so that when you win, it feels that much better. It just feels that much better. Yeah, my reason for this question, and I appreciate your answer and, and the perspective, uh, is that my hope is that we as fans, collectively as the Marshall fan base, can do a little more self-reflecting and maybe just take that time away from the keyboard or the phone first and let the sting of a loss go away before we do something that is more attacking or saying things like, well, I'll never go and watch another game. Uh, that, that reaction. Um, I just, I don't feel like it does anything. I feel like if, if it does anything, it's just going to cause harm. You know, some people might not be able to block it out. Uh, even if you do block it out, it may make you feel a little more bitter of, man, I'm not being appreciated here. Mm -hmm. So um, I just hope we as fans can dial it back a little bit, especially, you know, the, the going from one extreme to the other from after a win versus a loss. Uh, and I'm not calling anybody out. I'm just saying all of us could do a little bit better of handling a loss and not making it as negative. Yep. It's fair. It's fair. Um, that was it. That's all I had. And I don't think we have any other questions. That's it on from this. the mailbag. Uh, so I got to say, thanks once again for joining us this week on the, uh, on the Thundercast. We don't want you to be a stranger. I know that, uh, you have a little bit of a enjoyment for the podcasting game. And like I said, in the intro here, we want to let you know that our doors are always open. You've got an open invite to be on the show and uh, we'd like to definitely work on something in the future. We'll, uh, we'll keep in contact and see what we can come up with. Uh, like to line something out because I know as much, like I said, as uh, our fans and listeners like to listen to Russ and I talk for whatever reason, they really like to hear, from you guys, the former players and current players and coaches and, and things like that, because you've been there and you've done it and you've physically, personally provided memories that so much of us hold near and dear. 2014, for all intents and purposes, will be my favorite season as an alum until dethroned. And I don't know how that's going to be dethroned until somebody goes undefeated and wins the conference and makes a playoff, because what else is there, you know? I want you to get Neville Hewitt on here, man. That's what that's what I want. Well, I mean he wants to hop on. So I want Nev, I want Nev to hop on, man. Do you say he wants to hop on? Yeah. Cause I know he was supposed to do it with us for the um transition podcast. 
So I think I think he'll be a great talk, man. That's that's my boy. I probably talk to him every single day. So I, I want to get Nev on him. All right, put the bug in his ear and make sure that he gives us a follow on Twitter at Thundercast underscore pod so that we can DM him, right? Because I can't do that right. unless he's following us. But we would absolutely love to get Neville Hewitt on the podcast along with yourself and any other guys that you know are interested. Now, we don't need to name drop right now. We want to save that for later, right? We want to, we want to, because I definitely was about to drop a couple names. (laughs) All right, drop them, drop them. Let's make some promises that we may or may not be able to keep here. (laughs) Corey Corey Tindall, uh, a four year CFL guy. Um, Like I said, Neville Hewitt, Daryl Roberts, Evan McKelvey, MVPs, DeAndre Reeves, MVPs, CFL, NFL guy. It's just so many people that I've touched bases with that I was supposed to have on the transition podcast. That I just, you know, life just went a different way. People got busy and just had stuff to do, man. It's just so many names that wanted to hop on that podcast that we really could have got things rolling. And I love it every single time I'm on here with you guys. So I would love to just be that bug in their ear just to get them on here because it's a great experience. You know, everybody loves Marshall University. I think we all got that same love for Huntington, West Virginia and Marshall University because I know I do got a deep, deep, deep love for that university and what it's done for me you know i probably wouldn't be a director of operations at a top 30 airport in the united states if it wasn't for them mike hamrick kelly Rains, and just everybody else at that university so i I love my school i'm a diehard baby so it's just a lot of people that want to get on here kato shoe i mean i think it's a lot of people man we can get on here and just get this thing rolling well, we will definitely not turn anyone away because uh, we want to hear from those guys too, right? They, they, um, for all that they did on the field and as and as popular as those guys were in their playing days, those, um, those personalities and those players have moved into legendary status. Most, if not all, of the names that you just ripped off there, everybody, every herd fan that's of a certain age has a memory in their head of a play that shoe made or a play that, you know, Cato made or, or Neville made or, or swag or Tyndall. I, I mean, I've got a whole bank full of memories that were provided by those guys. And as I grow ever older, I come to appreciate those moments more and more for whatever you want to read into that. It just like stuff stays with you. And that season was real special. And I know some of those guys, you know, uh, that we, that we will try to approach, didn't necessarily come from a 2014 squad, right? But still, um, I want to hear what they all got to say. Our fans want to hear what they all got to say. So let's make that happen. Uh, let's let's make that happen. We will find time in the schedule. We'll post extra episodes for the week. It doesn't have to be part of our normal. We can do extra stuff. This is our show. We can do whatever we want. So uh, thank you once again for joining us, man. It's always a good time. It's been far too long since I've had you on the show, and we've got to just chop it up for a minute. Um, I'm really glad you got the opportunity to meet Russ. Russ is my homeboy. We've been buddies for 25 years. We were students together. We've done a lot of stuff together, and now we're doing the Thundercast together. Uh, Russ, take give me some final words here before we uh, close it out of here. Well, we definitely want to say thank you again, DJ, for coming on. And uh, it does not get any better than a former player's perspective. You know, we as fans, not just KD and I, but fans that were not players have all these questions like at this mailbag and especially when it comes to the ins and outs of how would it be affecting everyone when a position coach resigns two games into the season so 
very nice to have your perspective on here. And uh, we can't thank you enough for being on here Uh, to take us out. You know, I'm going to say what I say every week, whether you see us around the Joan, whether you see us around the softball stadium, whether you see us riding down fifth Avenue or no matter where you see us, maybe you see us with swag D Corey Dent, Corey Tindall, uh, Neville Hewitt, DJ Hunter, all those guys. But wherever you see us, we're going to be saying go herd. Go herd. It's the Thundercat. We'll see you next week. Later.